Hey guys, uh, in today's podcast, you're going to hear a couple little weird noises coming from our mics. That's because we, in the middle of the podcast, had a little technical difficulty. and uh, But we didn't want to lose the content, so Josh, in his amazing editing work, uh, put it together so we could hear the content, but it's going to sound a little weird in a couple spots. Don't worry. Um, it's just, you know, got to do what we got to do, but... Uh, we got it fixed up, and uh, hopefully the information that you get today is edifying and helpful. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. What's up, Chad? What up, Josh? Dude, what do you think? About what? About this world we're living in. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's any crazier than... Braves won the Super Bowl. <laughs> All the baseball fans just got mad at you. Yeah. Obviously, the World Series. It's a match. Which is, I will say, you know, it's been a while since the Braves have been that good or that relevant. They used to be my team back in the day. Yeah. But it's been a minute since they've been in that conversation. Yeah. You know? Decades. I don't know about decades. Well, I guess it's true. It's been two decades probably now. Ever since? The 90s. The other guy. The 90s were their heyday. They were pretty good in the early 2000s. They just never really made any playoff buzz. But All I know is someone hit a grand slam and they lost. <laughs> the last game. Yeah. Game five, they hit a, the fourth hit was a grand slam. And they still lost. And I, yeah, that's all I know about yeah. baseball right now. But hey, the Braves are back in it. Maybe one of these days, my Reds will creep back into the conversation. <laughs> been a while. Mm. That one's been decades. That Since, was your team. Yeah, they were good. They won a World Series, nineteen ninety. That's the last one. And they have not really been relevant. Since they've they made one playoff appearance in my lifetime. Since then, you know who I'm learning about right now, Ty Cobb. Yeah? You know much about him? Not a great dude. That's what you think. Oh. There is a myth behind the man. Well, I just know how he played was a little bit dirty. That's what they say. I mean, he was a competitor. He would would come in spikes up. Well, he never intentionally spiked anybody, he says. (laughs) He says. I mean, I I played baseball. If you slide with both your feet up in the air with your spikes showing, you're hoping that they... <laughs> you're running somebody. He's just, you know, <laughs> but he had a terrible reputation. Like people said mm-hmm. he was a racist. Mm-hmm. People would say he would sharpen his spikes. Um, right, right. People right, say right. he like threatened to kill mm-hmm. and would kill people in order yeah. to win. I don't know if those things are true. Well, someone did a, uh, just like an expose on him mm-hmm. and they found all that stuff to be false and they proved it in this. He, the, the author of the book actually, set out to just show how terrible of a person he was. Right. And he actually found that, no, he's actually a really good dude. Gave really? a ton of money away. Uh, was not a racist at all. Nice. I forget the years that he played. It was in the early... I mean, he played in a time when like, everyone was racist. So, like, that's... Yeah, saying he, that blanket statement of, like, but, he's no, a racist. But he's more than that. Like, his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all abolitionists. Right. 
Like Which, they all advocated for the abolition awesome. of slavery. But what, what I'm saying is like looking back in history, you could just throw that out there and probably be right. Which makes him even more of a great man because he stood against that even in a time right. when it was normal. Right. Which makes you think like I wonder if it was actually racist people who because he was an abolitionist like smeared his name. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like spread the rumor even harder because he was against them. Yeah. Could have been. Anyway, he's a great guy. So you guys, there's a um, Ty Cobb. Yeah, funny little YouTube video. I mean, I'm not against coming in with your your spikes up. You know, com- competition. I'm just saying that he did do that. Right. Well, that's yeah. I mean, you, you know, know, so will you, to win. You are going to get your shins beat up a little bit if you're playing against Ty Cobb. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as bad as the Saints back in 2009. They had that bounty gate. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's worse things, and I know you're writing a paper on that right now. So, would you like to work <laughs> on your paper? On both of these things. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so you're working on well, it. I'll just tell you my premise for the paper. What's interesting? Everybody's so, so excited to hear this. I'm sorry, everyone. Go ahead. No, this is a this is a hot take. <laughs> okay. What is so interesting? I think I'm the first person to realize this. Mm-hmm. Is that Bounty Gate in 2009? For those who don't know, the Saints defensive coordinator was. He was running this bounty scheme, and he was incentivizing players with thousands of dollars to hit head and hurt, hurt yeah. other quarterbacks and other offensive head players. Headhunting. They're yep. headhunting. I mean, mm-hmm. he basically said if you get someone knocked out You're of ca- the game. causing concussions, yeah. He had a speech that was on uh, – somebody recorded where he's, he was basically going for Crabtree's ACL, mm. like wanting to tear his ACL. Mm. It's just like you would listen to that speech. It's like, oh, that's horrible. But all these players, like 27 players were indicted and in, in participated in this. Anyway, so Goodell, the commissioner, he handed out the toughest sanctions that have ever been handed out, punishments for mm-hmm. anything in professional sports in modern history. Which, I mean, that would tell you that this is one of the worst things that's happened in professional sports in modern history, right? The punishment fits the crime. And most people agree that it does. It was pretty bad. The thing is, it didn't really affect the Saints' reputation at all. Mm. Nobody cares. Yeah. So there's this thing in sports theory, Mm -hmm. whatever, called the halo effect. Mm -hmm. And when you have a great team that Mm -hmm. does a lot, like they did a lot for New Orleans. After Katrina, like they just revitalized the city. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And then they won the Super Bowl in 2009. Everybody's willing to overlook. They overlooked it because of the halo effect. Right. So it's pretty interesting. That's true. It's, It's kind of a... A sociology type, you know, effect. There's, you could say that with leaders and churches. I mean, churches. I mean, if you listen to the Mars Hill podcast at all, um, there was one of the episodes that talks about um, where they basically started having a theology of uh, demonism, and and he would start saying things about how he could see things. It, it was just ridiculous stuff. Yeah. It really came out of like Pentecostalism, and he just started doing it, and it was a kind of a way that people would come to him and kind of gave him some more power. But one of those things where, well, there's where church is growing, everything's going great, you know, so you start, you kind of let things slide. Halo effect. The halo effect, man. It'll judge your judgment. It'll yeah. cloud your judgment. Well, it really just shows how selfish people are. If As long as what affects me is good, I'll overlook sin. Selfish and also lazy in regards yeah. to having critical thought about sure. certain things. Same thing with New England when they did the whole deflate gate and stuff, which is way less of, of a severity when it comes to like hurting people. But well, ever, think- everyone else, you know, threw shade at Tom Brady and hated on him, called him cheaters. But New England fans 
They didn't. They didn't care. But even me, like I hear that, and I'm like, I mean, he's still a great quarterback. Oh yeah, I don't really care that much either. But I'm just saying, like the whole sports world, like how how many times we hear that? Like I can't believe that you know deflated ball. Like, yeah, it was a whole thing for. But a everyone long time. knows deep down it wouldn't have affected Brady winning. Right, and that's the halo effect. Right, Brady's amazing. Yeah, even if he does that, he's still amazing. Or even New England. Also, remember they also got caught like uh, taping practices of other teams or something there was some other thing the scandal they got now what about the astros <laughs> stealing signs yeah which i also that, that really uh changed my perspective of them negatively like right. they did not have the halo effect right i think i even to this day i think they're turds i don't I can't <laughs> believe they made it to the playoffs but see for as a competitor i'm also like you get that i i don't well i don't think it's necessarily right it's not like good sportsmanship but at the same time if you're able to pick up on the signs of the other team, like that's kind of the fault of the other team of not making their sign. Like the whole point of having the code is so that the other you can't figure yeah. out what the team's saying. Yeah, that's a good point. So if they figured it out, like hey, you got came mad at them. <laughs> I think there's more to it than that. Uh, there probably is, and uh, I'm speaking out of just hearing about it, not really investigating it. There might have been more behind the scenes shady stuff to figure out the signs, mm-hmm. which wouldn't have been cool. But like. When I was playing baseball in high school, like there was always like coaches trying to figure out like tell signs and and get a competitive advantage. So, you know that whole deal uh, wouldn't have been that big of a deal if you picked up on the other team signs. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. we I mean we spent a whole I mean multiple practices learning basically a Morse code system to know what the coach was telling you to do from third base. Right, <laughs> you know, for that very reason, so nobody knew what you were doing. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that was my point. Well, I know it negatively um, changed my perspective of them. Right, but you're that's also called, not a baseball guy. That's called the Velcro effect. But the opposite say, of the halo effect. I'm just saying like... I know everybody's wondering. Like, oh, I wonder what that's called. Yeah, I'm sure they are. But I'm saying you're also not a baseball guy so that you don't quite understand that system. Ooh, ouch. But I'm saying like some football people would be like, I mean, back in the day... You're taking people's heads off. Who cares if they're like trying to hit each other hard, hit them hard and get them out of the game? That's what you're supposed to do on defense. Like, yeah. there's some people that have that kind of attitude too. Right. Which we would be like, well, that's a little much, a little well, far. Well, even they interviewed some of the older guys. Um, I forget who it was. Anyways, they said, yeah, we, we're, we're tough, but we would never try to purposely hurt somebody. Right. Well, I mean, I remember growing up and watching ESPN, they had a whole segment. Top ten like hits. I forget who did it, but it was like basically it was celebrating people's helmets getting like knocked off. Like, oh yeah, major. Oh, hits. we love that. So it was like, I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> well, to think like they're literally wanting to end these quarterbacks' career. Sure. Think of like guys like Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's my hero. I grew up watching Brett Favre. To mm-hmm. think that the Saints were actively trying to injure him and take him out. Sure. Uh, Peyton Manning. He actually ended up uh, missing the whole. 2011 season because of a neck injury right that might have been right. a result of new orleans bounty gate i know I'm, maybe you're misunderstanding where i'm where i'm going with it That's i'm saying it's time. i'm saying it's a it's just one step further than what was normal mm-hmm. right it's normal to want to hit someone really hard so they took it one step further of like now let's intentionally try to hurt them whereas like in baseball it's normal to try to pick up on signs but maybe they were doing something extra that was like a step too far in doing that was my point. We must move on. I'm just saying. You're trying to write a paper. I'm trying to help you with your paper. No, you're making it difficult. Okay. <laughs> Take it or leave sucks. it. <laughs> uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
Mm, I got I to leave that. Ooh, okay. I just haven't left the first one in a long time, so I was planning on leaving it no matter what you said. <laughs> All right, take it or leave it. Skipping class. <laughs> <laughs> this one's not even clever, I can tell. I'll take it because I'm not going to leave two in a row. What do you think about like being in college and skipping class? Is that morally wrong? Mm. I mean, you're only hurting yourself in some ways. Or maybe you're not. I mean, it depends on the class. I had some professors that you really didn't need to even show up for class because they basically gave you an outline of all their notes and they literally just sit up there and talked from their notes. Yeah. So they weren't really teaching. Um, I'll say it this way. Not all professors are created equal. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Um, and as a college student, you kind of figured that out. Like, okay, everything I need to know is in this book or on these notes. I just need to study that and... Yeah, it. you have the freedom to decide right. if you need to go or not. But if you have a professor who's actually teaching and you're going to not know what's on the test because you don't show up and you're not going to learn the stuff and then you're failing the class, well, that's on you. Good, because I'm skipping today. I've got <laughs> 1230 and I just can't make it. <laughs> so you just wanted me to tell you? Yeah. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, you're the one. The best part about college is you're the one paying for it. True that. So... Uh, you're really wasting your own money if you don't go if it if it's like you needed to go or Mm -hmm. if you assess hey i'm i got it figured out i'm doing great i'm learning the material and i I can miss a class then miss a class yeah that's good man some people uh may think you know i mean because do everything like you're doing it unto the lord and so they Mm -hmm. would never want to miss and maybe turn it into a bit of legalism i mean i don't think it's good to miss all the time i mean i think there's a certain thing of faithfulness but like I said, if you if you're doing great and you got the material and don't miss because you're being lazy, exactly because you got something better to do. Yeah, like you probably need to sit down and work on your fall festival coming up for CO, which Just is today, which is really why during you're, the event, right? <laughs> which is really why you're on campus in the first place. So right. for you, it's my priority. That actually is your priority, right? Yeah. Like if somehow you know if you're in college and you have a spouse and something happened with your wife, then yeah, you're gonna miss class. That's mm-hmm. cool. So mm-hmm. it's no big deal. Okay. Well, today we're going to talk about the grind again, part two. Part two. Part (laughs) two. So last time, recap, because I don't really remember, so just jog my memory. Last time it was the struggle of... um, The monotony of... The monotony of life and how it impacts us spiritually. Yeah. Right? Um, And how to glorify the Lord Mm -hmm. and and basically live out our calling, our purpose in a job that maybe takes up 40 to 60 hours a week. Yeah. And today I thought it'd be good to follow up with that, to spend more time talking about the priority of a Christian and the right perspective of a Christian. Um, Because I'll start it this way to define it. If we understand biblically, we're all part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says the job of the pastors and elders and evangelists and everyone is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So with those definitions in mind, quite literally, every Christian's first priority is the ministry of the Word of God. The role and responsibility of that and how that plays out is different. What do you mean by the ministry of the Word of God? Uh, Discipling, making disciples, uh, knowing the Word of God, teaching it at least to your family. You're, you know, if you if you have a, a wife and children, like that's your first priority, or your workplace, 
if you work at a job, your first priority is to minister there. It's a mission. So if you're a Christian, these are your highest priorities above work. Yeah, hundred percent. There's and, there's no way to read scripture any other way, mm-hmm. right? Because even Paul, like the whole scriptures are written to Christians. Mm-hmm. Well, does is there any book that differentiates? But you know, if you got a a regular job, a real world job, quote unquote, well, these aren't for you. Never. Right. The only differentiation is the one who's called to teach or to be an elder, which the main role of elder is teaching. The rest are character qualifications to be able to be qualified to be an elder. But your number one job as an elder is to teach and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Which really those character qualifications are just ensuring that they are living by the word that they are teaching. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've said it so many times, those the elder qualifications are really just qualifications of a Christian. Yeah. But we also recognize not all Christians come and begin at the same right. place. And so it may take years to develop these qualities. Right. And, and it's also true that that being called to be a, a teacher, an elder, is a is a separate calling. Like, that's okay. Right. It's not like everyone is trying to arrive at elder yeah. shepherd. Right. Teacher. But everyone should have the qualifications of elder or deacon because deacon qualifications are similar and deacon are servant leaders in the church. Like right. that's what deacons are. So every Christian should be trying to arrive at Christ likeness, which are what those character qualifications are. They may just not have the ambition of being an elder teacher, which is completely fine. Completely normal. And you shouldn't. I mean, James three says not many of you should become teachers for we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Um, and then you see that too, um, in, I think it's first Timothy three, not Titus, but the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, but therefore an overseer must be above reproach. And it tells you what the higher calling is right? and greater strictness. So for the one who's a pastor, so it's so funny to me, and this is just bad theology. So this is one of the reasons why I think it's a good podcast for us to do. In our current American culture church, um, a business CEO is seen as a harder working, more um, high level individual mm-hmm. than a pastor, right? Pastors a lot of times are seen, you know, I've had the old question, what do you do all week? Right. You know, what do you, you know? Uh, it can't be that difficult to, you know, put a little sermon together. It must be nice know? to just sit around and read your Bible all day. Right. Which is what many people think, even if they don't say it. Right. Well, the only way you can say those things is it being wise in your own eyes and completely disregarding the scriptures. Because that's not what the scriptures say at all. And that's not true of the experience of a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, the weightiness of teaching is actually a higher weightiness than any other job especially teaching the word of God. Mm-hmm. Because if you have an eternal perspective and you actually believe God is real, because the only way you can make that statement I just said is if you don't actually believe in the reality of spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And you just say you do. Because this tells us that we're held to a higher standard, a higher strictness before the Lord. We will stand before the Lord and give an account for how we taught. Yeah, Which is also, <laughs> like I can't, like pastors who don't exposit and teach the scriptures, I I fear for them mm. because they'll be held accountable before the Lord. Yeah, like being held accountable before men means nothing. And just because all the 
people around you really love what you do means nothing. Mm-hmm. Faithfulness is judged by God and God alone. And his scriptures tell us that, mm-hmm. right? So the grind is not just for those who work in everyday jobs. It's for the ministers too. The grind is different for the minister and sometimes weightier because that grind to sit for 20, 30 hours, study, understand, pray, be faithful to the word of God and then deliver that faithfully battling your own flesh, your own sin, the spiritual warfare, the opinions that you know you're going to get, all those, you know, fears, all those things that come with that. Um, but especially the battle of flesh. Paul Washer said in that sermon, Sam put in our elder text of the day. <clears throat> and I thought, man, it's so true. I never really thought of it this practically, but it's so true. How we can sit for hours in front of the TV and watch TV shows mm-hmm. or on our phones or get up and go to work, even mow the yard and all that kind of stuff. We can drive for an hour and can drive, do all that stuff. Be mindless. But to sit and study the scriptures, like just think about the last time you sat down. And hopefully, it was this morning to read your word and and like the your like just the anxiety of like I need to I need to get to where I need to get to something else. Like ah, how much longer do I need to sit here? Ah, mm-hmm. let me quickly pray or. Just reveals our flesh. Our flesh hates the word of God. Yeah. And the pastor's job. Unless you're reading Ezekiel, that thing will wake you up. <laughs> or, I mean, it's weird. Or that. What is this dude? Like, <laughs> I think he was on mushrooms. Yeah. Well, I think he was just seeing visions from the Lord. Bro, <laughs> but, he's seeing some crazy stuff. Let's not blaspheme the scriptures here, Josh. <laughs> you know? not mushrooms, you know, like, that's his diet. He's yeah. probably like a wilderness guy. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, um, but yeah. The pastor's job is to, if he's being faithful, is to sit in that place for hours upon end until he understands what the word says and deliver that. Mm-hmm. So that anxiety you feel in your flesh, just reading your Bible for twenty minutes, he's got to he's got to do that faithfully for hours on end, and he's human just like you are. And he also has to spend time in his word for his own edification. And as a child of God, be spending time with the Lord in communion through prayer yeah. and through yeah. through nourishing his own soul. Yeah. Which All he may true. be doing that during study, but I don't know about you. When I study for a text, I still need to have my personal devotional time. I do both. Apart from that text. I do both, but I have learned, and I've heard actually Steve Lawson talk about this. Uh-oh. That, um, but this idea that we... Like that's that that work is separate for you know is is a wrong idea. Like when we're studying the depths for a sermon, like we should be edified by that too. Right. Like it know? should mean more to you at the yeah. end of it because you've actually but gone through it. To that point. But if you're on a Bible reading plan, you got to stick to it, bro. Exactly. To that point, do I still read other other things and spend time with the Lord outside of when I'm studying to teach? Yes, mm. and you should. But I'm just saying, like. We shouldn't look at that time of study as not edifying as well. Right. You know? Well, especially if someone's doing it week in and week out. Exactly. Like it should be both. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I only do it, you know, a quarter of the time that Sam does it. Yeah. You know? um, That's all we can stand of you. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants that. Uh, but. I'm still trying to develop your preacher nickname. Uh huh. I thought it was Honey Mouth, but after last <laughs> Sunday, ain't nothing sweet about that sermon. <laughs> 
I just think honey mouse fun. You're more like honey badger. <laughs> honey badger. That's stupid. Um, anyway, back to the point. So the point of saying the grind part two is, man, the flesh is the grind. And that's the grind is true for everyone. Yeah, let's get back to the Christian now. Yeah. So back to the person who works a secular job. The minister. No. The the minister of the gospel, I mean, in like a general sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the everyday Christian, if you will. We'll put it that way. Uh, which is no less important, you know, in the body of Christ. This is a different role in, in the body which, of Christ. What would Paul call them? Because they didn't say Christians back then. People of the way is what he said in, I think it was at Acts where it was said. People, Waymen. People of the way, but. I don't know when, yeah, I'd have to go back and look. We got waymen and laymen, preachermen. Right, but. All right, let's talk about the laymen. I mean the waymen. The waymen. But the point of that is, you know, A.W. Tozer said it. I'm going to misquote it right now, so I won't quote him. But the gist of his quote was, whether or not your work is sacred or secular has everything to do with your own heart. Um, God has... God has called everyone in the church into ministry. So here's the question. Are you a full-time vocational ministry being paid by the church to, to focus primarily on the teaching of the word? Mm-hmm. Or are you bivocational minister? Which is what, if you have a regular secular job, the church is still your priority if you're a Christian. Every single Christian is a bivocational minister. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, biblically speaking, what... Meaning what, you have bivocational, meaning you have two jobs. Right. Which I have two jobs, right? Because you do the parachurch thing. Yeah, uh, I know. Project. A lot of people still think of me as like one of the pastors in the way that we started and all that stuff. But actually, I don't. I don't take a paycheck from the church, and my week is is focused primarily on the Nehemiah Project and counseling, yeah. which is ministering. Right, but it's an. I'm running a nonprofit business too, and. um we were meeting with a consultant who was helping us think through. He's a Christian guy, but he works with many businesses, nonprofits to raise money. And he, and he said, and I'm like, man, this is so true. The church is this way too in some ways. But he said a nonprofit business is, is the hardest kind of business because a pro- for-profit business, you just create a product that generates the income. A nonprofit, you're providing a service, and then you also – have to figure out how to pay for that service. So you have to, you basically work on two businesses at the same time. The working on the financial side of the business to keep it going. And then you actually have to do the ministry, do the work of the ministry. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I understand what I'm saying is when, when you're in a profit business, mm-hmm. you celebrate wins that are typically the wins is what's bringing in the income. Exactly. But in a nonprofit, you celebrate wins and it still has nothing to do with it. Right. Doors are going to stay open. Oh yeah. <laughs> we can, we can have a great week of ministry, see the Lord moving in all kinds of people's hearts and we do every week and we're ecstatic. thankful, ecstatic for it, but we still might not have enough money for next month. Right. <laughs> so it's a totally separate thing that we got to work on too, which, uh, what, the reason why I'm saying that is I I totally can empathize with the business owner or the person working in a business, like that side of running the business side of it. I understand that grind as well because, you know, I was talking to the Northwest Mutual guys. I mean, I basically do what they do. They go out and meet with people, build relationships in order to get their gain their business and and write insurance or finances. Well, Mike and I meet people, meet business owners, sit down, share the vision of the MI project, and see if they want to become a supporter of the MI project. So. Same same deal, right? 
Um, and then also I'm training up counselors and counseling and everything that we're doing as far as the work of the ministry. So it's a grind. Like it's a lot of work, right? Um, and it'd be really easy to do all that in your own power and your own strength. And to think about that is more important than God, what he's doing, his sovereignty, his hand working in it, trusting him for everything. Um, but that is what the, the person who's working in the secular world is exactly the same as a person ministering full time. Everything we do should be sacred in terms of doing it for the glory of God, whether, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to God's glory. First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one, and looking at our place of business as a mission field, your employees, the people you serve, your customers, those are relationships to be built in order to show the love of Christ and share the love of Christ. You know, ultimately through sharing the gospel. Yeah, I think a good example is your wife, Marie. Yeah. She works as a fitness instructor. Yeah. Completely okay. secular. Yeah. And she's leading Bible studies. All the There's time. Girls in her yeah. workforce and, and girls that are her clients, maybe. I right. Where she, we, but they're all there. That's where yeah. she meets them. All the time. And she's leading Bible studies and seeing people come. Right. Yeah, investigative Bible studies, all kinds of stuff. And if you hear that and say, like, oh, yeah, she's a pastor's wife, that doesn't mean anything. She built that from the ground up. We built that from the ground up, really, when we first got here to plant the church. We just go there, build friendships, hang out, go work out, and then share the gospel and try to do that. And now she's actually just now taking the job to be the director of personal training over there. Mm-hmm. And she's built such a reputation that they're okay with her still leading Bible studies. Right. you know. But that's because the first priority of that place was not a job or the job itself, even though... There's a lot that comes in with organizing all that, growing in fitness, understanding that world. I mean, she has to do a lot of that kind of grind work that is secular, quote-unquote, work. But to her, and I'm proud of her for it, it's a means to an end. I want to be excellent in this because this allows me to gain the respect of outsiders, that the qualifications of deacon and elder, right, which she'd be a deacon, uh, would be. And she sees, man, this allows me that platform to build those relationships, to be around people. And ultimately my goal is to begin to share the love of Christ with them. And so that's no different than anybody else in the business world, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're uh, in an office job, you should be thinking about how to use that platform to build those relationships, to then take it beyond the workplace into a spiritual space to share the gospel, which is more important than anything that exists in this world. It's so funny, you know, I've heard the, the statement of like, and you, you guys don't understand the real world. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Biblically speaking, <laughs> we understand the real world more than you do. Because eternal things are real. Exactly. Things in this world are not real. If you read your scriptures, go read Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who did everything, says nothing matters. Everything is vanity yeah. other than Christ. Mm-hmm. And or if, Colossians 3. Right. And if you don't have that perspective, that's probably why you're experiencing burnout. That's probably why you're struggling and you need to repent. Mm-hmm. You don't need to people to get off your back or give you a break or I don't want to feel this guilt of like being this Christian. It's like, man, the reason why you feel all that stuff is because you're trying to be in charge of your own life and you're not seeing that your life is God's. Mm-hmm. And that, well, that's where the burnout's coming from. It's from your sin. You need to repent. That's where freedom's going to come yeah, from. that's an interesting topic. So the burnout thing. Yeah. Um, typically the things that people 
seem to need the most rest from mm-hmm. are the things that should be the most life giving. Yeah. You know, they right. want to work more, but right. they want to take a break from, you know, going to church or take a break from right. reading their Bible. Or I can't find time to read my Bible. Or I can't find time, you know, because that just, your actions always reveal your belief. So your belief is that your life, the money you make, your your stuff is more of a priority than God. One, your belief is that scripture, Bible, mm-hmm. sorry, scripture, church, prayer, these things serve you. Right. They they increase the benefits of your life. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you stop seeing the benefits and having to wake up earlier or do less something else, yeah. you can do more of what we're called to do in scripture, mm-hmm. you feel a weight. You right. You feel a burden because you don't see the benefits right. of these things. And the, the sad part is, the reason why I say you need to repent, I mean that, because you're missing out on the grace of Christ, on, the, on a lot of the benefits of God's grace, where James 4 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You think that doing the priorities of your life and making yourself the priority is what's going to bring success, and that's what's going to bring you happiness and joy. And it's such a lie of Satan. It's the very thing that burns you out and destroys you. It's actually Matthew 6 where Jesus says, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. He's not speaking to ministers there, by the way. He's speaking to the crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's speaking to you and me yeah. equally. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all else will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has problems of its own, right? What he's saying there is, man, if you just would wake up, and trust me and be faithful to me. That will be the things that brings about my glory and your good. Meaning like, if you're, let's say a business owner, because I understand this, the struggles of that because you feel the weight and responsibility for your employees and for everything, right? And Yeah, and we've both been there in different ways so we can speak to it. I understand the weightiness of that, no doubt. But you're actually undermining yourself by trying to be in charge yourself. And uh, obviously it's sinful, but just practically speaking. Because that anxiety is only stressing you out and burning you out. It's not actually making you more effective. And you and I both know, if we really trust the Lord, it is, it is the Lord who is um, bringing the, the business. He's bringing the customers, not you, if you really trust in his providence. Check, check, check. You know what you're going to say? Yeah. All right. I'll just edit it. That's cool. I'm going to keep these on. <laughs> In case it goes out. Yeah. yeah that's sure. probably, from here on out, you should probably just do that since you're sitting over there anyway. Yeah. That way, if anything happens to my mic or yours, you can be like, oh, what happened? All right, ready? Yeah, and if you don't trust the providence of God to bring about mm-hmm. those sales or new customers, clients, right. um, then it's showing you're not believing. Right. Uh what God is, he is our provider. Right. Right. And so yeah. it stresses you out. It wears you down mm-hmm. because every day I had a, um, my first business, he wasn't my partner. He was my employer. Yeah. That's when I was getting into construction. He said almost every morning, it was not a Christian. He almost every morning he'd wake up, dude, I was up at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Just working on these plans. I'm so stressed about this, this yeah. job. We're building houses. Right. And he'd wake up at 2 a.m. And right, and toil over 
these plans and sure. over these jobs. Right. I'm like, bro, it's just a house. Mm. But for him, if he loses his, his it was house, everything. It's a, it's all he has. Mm-hmm. And so I'd never I couldn't relate to that. <laughs> I've never been so stressed uh, that I you know had to wake up. But I remember talking to you and mm-hmm. kind of at the same time, and you're like, bro, I couldn't sleep last night. I was so stressed about this person's life or or this trial i'm going through i had to mm-hmm. wake up and pray and the difference between that yeah you know yeah like i had to get up and go to work because i was you know what's a psalm 127 mm-hmm. eating the bread of anxious toil yeah like i was eating the bread of anxious toil but you're like i'm toiling over people's life and what god's doing and i just need to seek the lord right you know, that's the difference right yeah when someone says to me you just don't understand the real world because they're working in a business I just want to say to them, well, let's trade for a week. <laughs> I have 15 clients right now. We're not going to talk about preparing for a message or any of that stuff. Let's just talk about just what I do in counseling. So 15 clients, which all include PTSD, broken marriages, one separated marriage, pornography, uh, suicidal ideation, suicide attempt, drug addiction, um, broken family unit, uh, depression, anxiety. And I'm just thinking off the top of my head of the things that I'm dealing with right now. One guy's, uh, his legs aren't, aren't working right now because of the toil he's put on his body from addiction to smoking. And, um, he's old and, and needs surgery and he's depressed. And I mean, I'm just, just thinking like, I don't you know about you, real but real world issues. That'll stress you out. I mean, I don't know about you, but, <laughs> and they're all coming to me because they are, are looking for hope and help like they're not coming to me just because they want to talk right so my job is to be able to know how to help them and find hope truly and that comes from showing them god knowing god's word and showing them who god is and giving them an e- eternal perspective that's where true hope comes from so there's a pressure there right to to be able to understand what they're going through so essentially i've got to understand everyone's real world problems help them think through it biblically understand the heart behind it and then help show them the reality of God because yeah. that's where hope comes from. So I just say that not to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that like, like don't pretend like your office job or your business is so much more stressful right. <laughs> than the, than the life of someone in ministry. Well, it may be more stressful, but it shows that right. you're not depending on God. You're depending on yourself. True. And yeah, that's true. the reason you can do all of those things is because you learned a long time ago, mm-hmm. I can't do this in my own strength. Yeah, and I've tried to do it in my own strength, and I've gotten really burned out, depressed, and anxious. So I understand. Right. And I learned the hard way that if I'm going to be faithful and have longevity in this and be able to have enough energy to give to my wife and my children and and find joy and refuge and strength, that my my rest truly has to come from the Lord. And rest comes from when I really, truly believe he is in control and in charge and sovereign. Like I have to believe the word truly in a very real way. And that's what brings hope and strength in the midst of suffering. It's what Paul says when he talks about his life, when he talks in Philippians. Man, I've I've learned how to be content in much and in very little, you know, Mm -hmm. Philippians 4. That's just showing his true contentment in Christ. Like his, his life doesn't matter and he's been through... He, you know, he's speaking from being in jail to, to being beating, a, and being in front of politicians to beating. I mean, he's been through way more than what you're going through in your job. Yeah. Um, 
And so we got to first humble ourselves, realize like if you got that mentality, that's extremely prideful. Mm-hmm. It just really is. And it's it's really showing your lack of confidence in the Lord. Well, and short-sighted because when you leave this planet, mm-hmm. you know, my construction business, it doesn't matter if I flipped 150 houses. Right. It ain't going to matter. Or made millions of dollars. Who cares? And all these houses I built, they're just going to burn up. And what I was saying earlier, just you just undermine yourself because what you really truly understand when you really believe in God's providence and you understand that my job is to be faithful to the Lord today and how I work, don't you think that that's what's going to cause you to be successful in business too? Meaning like, let's say you're, you know, you own your own business and let's say like with flipping houses, you know, you need to do a great job so people want to buy your houses and you get a reputation and then more jobs come to you and more opportunities come, right? So on and so forth. Well, what do you think makes that happen? Stressing out or showing up and doing a really good job? Exactly. (laughs) Showing up and doing a good job. Yeah, and just being diligent and learning to trade. Like, you know, this guy overcompensated for, this guy I'm talking about earlier, he Mm -hmm. overcompensated for his, uh, you know, he was kind of new to the Mm -hmm. industry. So Mm -hmm. he overcompensated that by stressing out and never sleeping. Right. And and trying to, instead of just like, hey, take it slow. You got nothing to prove to nobody. Work hard. Take it slow, work hard. In the capacity you can, if you if you think mm-hmm. of your life as, you know, different priorities or like Paul Tripp explains like three different circles and each right. encompasses one of your roles. You're a child of God. Mm-hmm. You are um, commanded and I mean, it's just in your greatest benefit to spend time communing with the Lord through scripture and through prayer, mm-hmm. you know, and also evangelizing and, and fellowshipping in the local church. Right. But also your husband and a father. Right. You know, and then you're. A laborer, yeah. Right? Like you are to evangelize and that's right. And build disciples. I still I have to do exactly what I'm teaching the saints to do, right? As a as a teacher. But when we use when we put in another circle in there, mm-hmm. like work or something, which work is necessary, yeah. But it's also a, a outlet to do those things, and it's also something given by God to steward, yeah, for God. And when you rob from Peter to pay Paul, meaning you're going to work longer, you know. So and then now you don't have time to do these other things that are eternal work mm-hmm. you're just you're screwing yourself yeah look look what uh, solomon says in ecclesiastes uh chapter two if you don't know who solomon is if you're listening and you know you're just investigating the bible that's great solomon was the son of david he was considered the wisest king ever um the lord gave him extra wisdom and success he was the richest of all time still considered to today he had a thousand wives and concubines, so if you think you're Which wasn't good. So if you think you're a player, you you didn't you didn't even touch Solomon. If you think you're rich, I mean he had uh more money than equivalent today, he would be the richest guy in the world. Yeah. He had it all, is my point. And he was king too. And every other nation came to him for wisdom. So he was king among kings. Mm-hmm. And here's what he says about life. So if you think your your business is really stressful, here's what he says. <laughs> he says, I hated all my toil. By the way, this is uh, chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes, verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my, my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. 
because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God, has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he also has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Mm. I mean, pretty much sums up everything we've been saying. (laughs) Which was funny, it's kind of prophetic. Mm -hmm. He mentioned his son, I'm going to leave it to my son, and his son Rehoboam ruined everything. Exactly. So So even if you do everything perfectly good and you hit all the successes you hope, it's still vanity and toil. It's still chasing the wind. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? You don't take it with you, and it's not storing up treasure in heaven. That's not fearing God and worshiping God and glorifying God. So in the midst of all your success, you've you've sacrificed the one thing that matters, which is glorifying and worshiping God. And in the meantime, you've been extra stressed, which means you're probably not being a faithful husband or father or mother or, or son or daughter, you know, or friend. All the things that matter in life, you're also messing up because of trying to be God, essentially. Yeah. And using your your wealth or your or worrying about your business or your job so much that it takes over your life. I think you can sum it all up with Matthew six. Is mm-hmm. that thirty three or thirty five? Thirty three. Yeah, Seek 33. first my kingdom, my righteousness. Just memorize and meditate on that verse mm-hmm. all week. Right. And I think that just that conviction alone. Right. The path will become clear. Yeah. How do I build disciples? How do I do right. that? That's easy. Yeah. You need the conviction first. And once you get there, yeah. the the path to do that will. And if you're looking for rest. It'll be simple, not easy. That's where rest comes from, too. The Bible is clear that the Lord is our refuge and our strength. We don't find rest apart from busyness. We find it in him through those struggles of life. Yeah. You know, um, I've been super busy, but everyone's busy. Even if you're busy being lazy. Yeah, we all lazy. fill up all the time we have. Exactly. With something. You're existing doing something. And nothing better to fill it up with than meaningful work, even if it's at your job, because you glorify God through doing a good job at work. But the, the rest from the stress and the emotional weight and the spiritual weight doesn't come from the absence of working and sitting indulging yourself. Right. comes in Christ, in the Lord, praying without ceasing. Everyone knows that because after a long weekend that they're so excited about, <laughs> Monday morning they're still miserable. <clears throat> right. Rest didn't do it for them. Right. But we look at rest. I mean, rest is twofold. It, it recovers mm-hmm. and replenishes your body. Sure. And there's the physical rest of like sleeping. Yeah, you do that every night. But the rest is more of mm-hmm. a, hey, I trust God to provide. Yeah. And so I don't need to be out there eating the bread of anxious toil. That's right. I don't even have to think about tomorrow. Right. Like, yeah, we make some some wise plans and we try to have a little vision for the future sure but open-handed with it but you know what i know today what's on my schedule and i know what today i need to be faithful in and that's enough for me to think about right now mm-hmm. and i know if i do that every single day though then that's going to set up a life of faithfulness and that's going to set the future up anyway the one the future that i'm hoping comes about 
It's going to come from being faithful today. Exactly. I'm not, I can't be faithful in the future. I, I'm not God. I don't live in the future. I live in the right now. Mm-hmm. And you don't either. Right? So. Some good nuggets to chew on. Yeah, man. I hope it's helpful because I've learned Illuminate. this. I've learned this lesson for myself. When I say these things, when you hear me say repent, it sounds hard. That's because I've repented. Mm-hmm. And I've, and I'm still repenting through this. Yeah. And I've found in my busiest seasons of life, which right now is probably the busiest I've ever been with, with ministry. And I feel great. I feel mm-hmm. so rested. And it's not because my schedule isn't full. Actually, it's fuller than it's ever been. It's because God's sanctified me and humbled me through many of my own sins and having to learn lessons the hard way to truly get to that place where he is truly sovereign and providential. And my job is to read, study, pray, love him, and then try to be faithful in my work. And that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to worry about the moment. And man, I've, I felt really rested spiritually and emotionally, even though physically I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> But hey, a little good night's sleep and some good food, and I'm ready to rock. Right. Yeah. Food, that's a whole nother issue. Yeah, well. Gotta eat right, man. Not today. Gotta, <laughs> We're not gonna talk about that today. Yeah. All right, well, hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little convicting. If the Lord convicts you, praise God. Yeah. Repent. Right. I will. Me too. All right, guys. Later. Later. Thank you for listening to the Change Up Podcast. This podcast is made possible by The Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you don't have a home church, please come check us out. We have service times at 845 and 1045 on Sundays. And you can find more information at thefieldnola.com. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it with a friend or family member and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people just like you find us.